Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're in the middle of a mini-series. I started last week. I'm going to conclude it this week. And we've been talking about hypocrisy uh, and more importantly, dealing with the hypocrisy that lives in us all. And so I've called this mini-series Hypocrite. Everyone say Hypocrite. I don't have a lisp or I don't have a speech impediment. I'm saying hypocrite because we want to see the hypocrisy in us quitted. <laughs> Is that right? Have I got my English right? I don't think I have. But anyway, um, you know what I'm trying to say. And so uh, according to a dictionary definition of the word hypocrisy, it means a pretense of having a virtuous character, moral or religious beliefs or principles, etc., that one does not really possess. In other words, it means to act, to play a game, or to be two-faced, or to wear a mask. When you wear a mask, you're trying to disguise something. You're trying to hide something. And there are many people that are trying to hide who they really are and put on a persona of something they're not in order to impress people because everyone likes to impress people. And so much of the church today is walking around with a mask on, pretending to be something that they're not. And so when you ask them, how are you going? Great, great, great. How's business? Ah, oh, fantastic. Doesn't matter if you're in financial ruin. Fantastic, put on the brave face. And when we birthed this church 20 years ago, in my heart was a desire to remove the veil, remove the, var, uh, the, the masks, that we might be able to be ourselves, warts and all. And so I feel that this particular series is helpful in that because hypocrisy is one of those characteristics that's not very becoming. In actual fact, if I was to ask you, is there anyone out there that likes hypocrisy? All of us would say no. And why would you like hypocrisy, particularly in light of what we talked about last week, when we discovered some of the problems with hypocrisy being that it's very subtle, it's misleading, it's detrimental, exhausting, and superficial. And so what is there to like about those virtues? What is there to like about those characteristics or qualities? Not much. But as I've been thinking about this series, and as I've been thinking about this a lot, upon further reflection, I would have to come to this conclusion that we are far more tolerant of hypocrisy than we give ourselves credit for. Let me explain myself. When I say that we're far more tolerant of hypocrisy than we give ourselves credit for, I'm not talking about other people's hypocrisy because that we hate. We hate the hypocrisy in others and we have no tolerance for that. What I'm talking about is the hypocrisy that lives in us, we seem to not only be tolerant of, but quite accommodating for. Because as we discovered last week, there's a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us. Every one of us is guilty of hypocrisy at some level. Repeat after me, I am a big hypocrite. You know, just the other day to prove my point, 
I was in the lounge room of which our kitchen area is joined to. I woke up, the birds were singing, the sun was shining. It was a glorious morning. You know, one of those mornings, much like this morning, sun shining, birds are singing. It's just an incredible morning. And to make it even more incredible, three of our kids, they were all up in the kitchen doing their chores and playing happily together, enjoying one another's company, even singing Christian songs. It was just like a a piece of heaven on earth. You ever had one of those moments? Hold on to it. And it was just a great, great moment. And honestly, they were, they were finishing each other's sentences. And they were singing in harmony. And it was just a, it was a really sweet, sweet time. And I was just sitting there just enjoying this moment. And then as it went on a little bit longer, a few little niggles started. The singing stopped. The pinching started. The pushing started. The accusation started coming. You know where this is going, don't you? And then what started as a beautifully, wonderfully, seamlessly gorgeous morning just changed. And before I knew it, there was this yelling match that was going on between all three of them. They were yelling at the top of their voices at each other. The clouds came over. It started raining and thundering outside. And to try to get some order back, I found myself saying at the top of my voice, I might add, will you kids please stop shouting at each other? (laughs) And at that point, and at that moment in my life, I was guilty of a little thing called hypocrisy. Now I realise I'm just talking about myself because no one here has ever done that. So let's just pretend this is a big couch session for me and I'm just getting things off my chest this morning. Or if you want to be a little bit honest with yourself and see a little bit of yourself in my story, I want to encourage you to listen up. You see, when it comes to hypocrisy, as I see it, we do three things with our hypocrisy. We either deny it and say, I'm not a hypocrite. And that comment is a comment that highlights your hypocrisy quicker than any other comment you're ever going to make in your life. So to deny it is very, very unhelpful and very, very misleading. But that's what many people do. They deny their hypocrisy. Others, and this is probably more the common one, we justify it. If we don't deny it, we justify it. And by justifying it, I simply mean we come to the conclusion that while I may have some hypocritical tendencies, I'm not as bad as someone else. My hypocrisy is not as big as somebody else's hypocrisy, so my hypocrisy is okay. Because we can always think of someone worse than us, more hypocritical than us. In actual fact, we are so hypocritical that many of us are listening to me speak now and thinking, oh, I hope my wife's listening to this. I hope so-and-so is listening to this. Don't look at anyone, just look at me, look at me. Just, you're going to get in trouble if you start looking around, pinching and touching somebody right now. So we can either deny it, or we can justify it, or thirdly, and this is at the heart of what I'm sharing today, we can deal with it. We can deal with it, and that's what I want to address today. But just for those who are playing catch-up 
with this whole notion that you may just be a hypocrite, let me throw a few scenarios your way. Have you ever gone past a prison and thought that you were better than those who were in that prison? Have you ever driven past a car that's an older model than the car that you were driving and thought just a little bit more highly of yourself than the person who's in the other car? Have you ever seen a teenager that's pregnant and thought less of her and more of yourself because you're not like her? Have you ever seen a homosexual couple holding hands and been disgusted and thought, shame on you, I'm better than you? Have you ever seen a homeless person when you walked the streets of Adelaide and thought that you were just a little bit better than that person? You see, this is the attitude that Jesus was addressing when he told a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. In the time of Jesus, there were about 6,000 Pharisees. Granted, not all of them were bad, uh, but they were a very religious group of people. And they took the Ten Commandments and added another 600 laws to the point where they had something like 613 laws that they must abide by. And while the intention and, and, and the heart initially was, was pure behind that, it soon became bondage. It soon became ritual that was void of any reality or any relationship. And Jesus knew it, and that's what he wanted to speak into. The Pharisees may have started with good intention, but they'd somewhere along the way lost their way. And if we think for a moment that we can't lose our way, we've already lost our way. And so Jesus tells this incredible story in Luke chapter 18 from verse 19 to 14, and I want to read it to you. Verse 9 says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now let me just stop there for a moment and say this. Any of you who think that the boring is an old book that's untrue, boring and irrelevant has not really read it. Because this statement that is made here Jesus told a story because of people's own self-righteousness and because people looked down on other people. That is as true today as it ever was in Jesus' time. And that's what makes this story very, very relevant for us today. So can I encourage you to listen up? So Jesus says in verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Let me stop right there. Can you imagine the Pharisees sitting there listening to this story? Drawing a parallel between the tax collector and the Pharisees? The Pharisees must be nudging themselves, oh, this is, this, this is going to look good for us because we all know that the tax collectors are the scum of the earth. The tax collectors did not have a good name because they would not just collect the taxes, but they would take money for themselves. They were thieves and robbers and cheats. And so they didn't have a good name in the community. So the Pharisees are like, this is going to be good. We're going to come out looking good from this story. Listen up, fellas. This is a day to get another badge. 
The Pharisee, Jesus said, stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Oh. That's angels singing, in case you didn't know. It wasn't a cat. <laughs> Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and not even like this tax collector. The Pharisee's like, yeah, go on. Go on, Jesus. This is one of your best stories ever. We do that. See, fellas, I told you I was right. I told you we were right. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I had. Yes, that's what we do. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Yes, give it to him, Jesus. Give it to him. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus went on to say, I tell you that this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What you need to understand about Jesus when he told parables is this. Parables were his way of getting people's attention. See, it's no good us having truth if people aren't listening. Jesus was very good at getting people's attention. And one of the ways he did that was through telling stories, or the Bible refers to them as parables. A parable simply means to cast alongside. It's a story or a comparison. So when Jesus is telling a parable, he's trying to draw a comparison. And his purpose behind this comparison was to help people make a shift in their thinking. That was the purpose behind all of Jesus' parables, to help people make a shift in how they are thinking. It's not enough just to make an outward change. You've got to make an inward change, an emotional change, a mental change. We've got to deal with our stinking thinking. That's what Jesus was trying to do in telling the parables that he told. He was trying to arrest the Pharisees from the foolishness of the way that they were presently thinking. And he highlights the different attitudes and actions of these two men. One was guilty of hypocrisy and so was humbled before God. One was not guilty of hypocrisy and was justified before God. Before I go any further, we have to ask ourselves this question. Do you want to be found at the end of days being humbled before God? Or do you want to be justified before God? See, this is not about do as I say. This is not about do as you're told. This, this is about making a good decision based with the end in mind. See, if I want to go into the city by way of public transport, I can't just get on any bus. But if I want to go for a bus ride, I can get on any bus. The destination determines what bus I get on and all the hundreds of other buses I do not get on. I'm not under control, nor am I being manipulated by saying no to all the other buses because I have a destination to get to. If you just want a joyride, get on any bus. But if you want to get on mission, you better get on the right bus. Because not every bus is going into the city. There's a lot of buses that will take you where you don't want to go. 
And so this is not about control, nor is it about manipulation, nor is it about what you have to do to be a Christian. This is about us living with eternity in mind. And we work back from there. And because I have a destination, because I have a dream, because I have a hope of a preferred future, it answers a lot of my questions for me. I I think one of the uh, issues in dealing with mental illness today is that people's minds are bombarded with so many choices. I think one of the things that would help with mental illness is if we were just set on our destination, it would take care of a lot of other thinking that we do because we wouldn't have to do that thinking anymore because a lot of our thoughts are taken care of because of where we are going. And so one man was hypocritical and was humble before God. One man was not hypocritical and was justified before God. And so while we are all guilty of hypocrisy, as we've already learned, it is within our power to deal with it. Just nudge the person next to you and say, it's within our power. It's within our power. (laughs) But dealing with hypocrisy requires a right attitude and correct responses. In other words, it's going to take a certain something from us. And I want to highlight three things very quickly that it's going to take from us. And as I said in the earlier congregation, uh, it's not only three things, but it's all I have time for today. What I love about the Word of God, there's always more to draw from the Word of God the more you study it. But for the sake of time, I want to look at three things that it's going to take from us in order for us to deal with the hypocrisy in our lives in order that we may finish well. The first thing it's going to take is honesty. You see, one man was self-righteous. The other man was self-aware. The Pharisee says, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I have. The tax man simply said, I'm a sinner and I've messed up. He was being more honest about where he was really at. It's really easy to be self-righteous when we compare ourselves to other people's sin. When people think that they are a Christian, because most people do, what they're saying is, I know people that I'm better than. My marriage is better than them, so I must be a Christian. I, I haven't killed anyone, so I must be a Christian. But other people are never our measuring stick. God is our plumb line. This tax collector got honest with himself. And if we're going to deal with hypocrisy in our own lives, we're going to get honest with ourselves. It's really easy to point out the fault and the sin in others. This Pharisee said, I'm not like this other guy. The tax collector wasn't worried about anyone else. He said, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. We've got so many problems, not funny. When's the last time you were really honest with yourself? You know, when I found myself shouting at our kids, here's, that, that's embarrassing. It's not my finest moment. But this is, the, this is the redemptive quality of that story. No sooner as I finished the last word, than I was able to arrest myself. And I realized how hypocritical my response was 
in the moment. That's the self-awareness I'm talking about. As a parent dealing with our kids at that moment, I could have gone on and on and on about the kids and been right because their actions weren't good and overlooked my own actions. But what I did like about that moment is how I was able to arrest myself. Where does that start? It starts with self-awareness. Self-righteous response would have been, after all I've done for you, don't you know I've been working hard? Don't you know you wouldn't even be in this kitchen if it wasn't for the money I brought? That's self-righteousness. Parenting 101 starts with self-awareness. In actual fact, it's a good key for life in general. How self-aware are you? Do you know, and this may appall some of you, this thought, that we are more like Adolf Hitler by nature than we are like God? The gap between me and God is far greater than the gap between me and Adolf Hitler by nature. Outside of me receiving Jesus, which changes everything, I'm in the same camp as Adolf Hitler. And I'm not commending nor condoning any of his actions. But his sin and my sin separate us from God. And I'm not going to get to heaven because I was a little bit better than Adolf Hitler. Or even a lot better in my thinking. We've got to get honest with ourselves. And stop blaming everyone else. There's one thing worse than being a hypocrite, and that's not being willing to admit you are one. What's it going to take? It's going to take honesty. Secondly, it's going to take humility. One lied, the other cried. The Pharisee stood before God and said, thank God I'm not a sinner like this man. And yet the Bible tells us we're all sinners. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we actually lied at that moment. We've all broken the Ten Commandments. You know, under the old covenant law, it said, do not murder. Jesus took it to a wholly another level. And he said, uh, if you look at someone and wish harm upon them, you are guilty of that act. Jesus took it to a whole other level in the new covenant. And so when I look at the standard, the New Testament, guilty, guilty, I've broken all the Ten Commandments. I'm a sinner. And so are you. We're in good company. The tax man stood at a distance and said, have mercy on me. I love that thought. He said, have mercy on me. He made it about him and not everyone else. Well, you don't understand, God. My father. You don't understand, my mother. What they made me do, what they put on me. The times I've heard over 20 years, what I've put on people. How about we just start with, have mercy on me, a sinner. Instead of blaming everyone else and everything else, the weather, the country you're born in, the parents you were raised in, the home you were raised in. Let's just start with us. What impresses God is when we don't try to impress God. Let's stop trying to impress God and that will really impress Him. What's it going to take? It's going to take honesty. It's going to take humility. Number three, it's going to take heart. One played, the other prayed. See, the Pharisee was all show and no heart. 
Father, I thank you that I am not a sinner. I'm not like other evildoers. And I'm not even like this tax man, just playing a game. You know what that's like? That's like the movies we watch with A-list Hollywood actors who aren't Christians but play the role of a Christian and pray better prayers in that film than you and I know how to pray. Have you ever watched a non-Christian praying in a film? Wow, that was brilliant. That's what's going on here. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is not interested in our games. He hasn't come to watch a movie. He's come to be involved in our lives. So maybe we might need to push pause for a minute and stop acting because he wants reality. The tax man, however, was no show but all heart. In a sense, he did everything wrong. He didn't even go into the temple. He didn't look up. He hid himself. He spoke differently than the others. In other words, he cracks before God, not acts before God. When's the last time you've cracked before God? When this hard exterior just breaks. When we're like, oh God, we... who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? I think God gets more joy the moment we go, who am I kidding? They're saying, Father, we thank you for this wonderful weather. We thank you that Hawthorne got up over the power yesterday. Just heard that. But God wants us to be real. See, God listens to our lips, but he hears our heart. One of the joys of me of leading this service is seeing young people pray. And we have a pre-service prayer meeting, have done since the inception of this church. And, and to gather together before we gather together and hear young people who are all heart, they're raw, they don't quite know how to pray or what to pray, but they've got heart. And I know how good that does my heart. And if it does my heart good to see that, how much more the Father in heaven but there are some of us who don't pray out loud because we're too worried about what people might think. And at that moment, we go like this. Hey, why don't you pray, Tony? Oh, no, I'm too worried. So who cares? Do you love God? Just... You've got to understand that before this church was birthed, I found myself praying my brother for two years every morning from 5.30 to 6.30. And no one taught us how to pray. It just started with bold, audacious, random, I don't know how to pray prayers. And uh, I just grabbed a few prayers that uh, Pastor Paul had prayed. And uh, honestly, that's how we started praying. And I never forget walking around uh, Pete's living room there and saying, Father, rend the heavens and come down. I don't even know, if I'm honest, if I knew what rend meant. <laughs> I can say this categorically. I have never used the word rend before that prayer meeting or after that prayer meeting, or since that prayer meeting. It's the only time I've ever used the word. Rend the heavens and come down. I think it means break through and rip tear or something like that. 
but I've written the heavens and come down. And then another great prayer that worked well for us that burnt up a few more minutes was like, shake all that can be shaken, Lord. And we managed on those two prayers to get to an hour. And then Pete and I soon realised if we're going to do this long term, we better start adding some. And that's what happens. Practice, you get better. But I think God's through our heart. I imagine it was kind of like God the Father, God the Son every morning. Like it was their favourite moment of the day. Watch, this. These two, watch these two clowns pray. They're praying. They're using the word rend. They don't even know what it means. And, and I think God was saying, if they can keep that up for a couple of years, I'm going I'm 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 to birth the church. If they can do that for a couple of years, because this is going to be funny to watch. But I'd rather be in that prayer meeting for two years than with the lifeless grey souls that know neither defeat nor victory. Come on, Ben. Let's come up here. That'd be great. So you can have a heart for religion, but your religion can have no heart. You can have a heart for going to church. But you can do that without having a heart for church. And so in conclusion, I want to say this, that one man in the story humbled himself and he was exalted. And one man exalted himself and he was humbled. The question I want to leave you with is this. What do you want for you? Do you want to be humbled by God? Or would you rather be exalted by God? That could look like, would you rather be given a brand new house or have the home you're living in taken away? I mean, like, really? It's a no-brainer. But it's up to us. This I know. This is what I take away. This is my takeaway thought from this story that Jesus told. Every one of us would experience a humbling at some stage or another. There's two types of humblings you can experience. The self-induced humbling, where you choose to humble yourself and say, I'm a sinner. I am a hypocrite. I need help. I am struggling. Masks down, cracks galore, on display for all to see, no filter. That's humbling. That's embarrassing. That can be awkward. That can put a dent in your pride. That, that's one version of humbling. That's the good version. The other humbling that takes place is that we think and we go around for our entire life thinking that we are right and everyone else is wrong. That the world's got a problem and you're fine. That you're better than most people you meet. And you're doing okay based upon other people's poor performance. And think more highly of yourself than you ought. And then God humbles you. And you always lose more when God humbles you. 
It's always more devastating. And as a lover, not only of God, but of people, and as a lover of this church, which includes all of you, can I say, to quote one of our youth leaders, make good choices. Make good choices. Far better to humble yourself, as embarrassing as that can be, than to allow God to humble you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 